Crestron, smart home solutions perfectly tailored to your clients' lifestyles. There is a simple reason why Crestron is the undisputed leader of the smart home industry. We deliver the best user experience by far. Crestron is the one and only company that designs, manufactures and supports the full spectrum of smart home products and solutions to ensure unparalleled performance and reliability for your clients. Our mission to provide the best possible user experience is at the heart of everything we design. Hello and welcome to The Integrated Home, the monthly podcast produced by the home integration community for the home integration community. I'm excited to say that we're podcasting today in front of a live audience of property professionals at the Dolby Screening Room in London. This is an impressive state-of-the-art imaging and immersive audio facility where filmmakers and professionals create and showcase their work. Our thanks to Dolby for hosting us tonight and to Prime Resi, the Journal of Luxury Property, for partnering with us on this very special episode. My name is Jeff Hayward, and I'm joined by an expert panel drawn from the worlds of integration and residential development to talk technology and property issues. Welcome to The Integrated Home. So, how can you improve prime property yields with thoughtful investment in home automation? To find out the answers, we have an expert panel, so let me invite them to introduce themselves and say a few words about their background, and also, you've got to tell us the first record you ever bought. Oh, God. (laughs) You go first, John. I'm not sure I can tell you that. um, (laughs) So, yes, I'm John Cooper. Uh, I'm the director of The Next Level. Uh, We're a home automation specialist, and uh, we have been operating now for 10 years. Uh, Myself, personally, I've been in the industry for 25 years, so uh, quite long in the tooth. Um, and we not only specialise in home automation, but also the audio, visual and uh, home networks, all of the technology that goes into the modern prime residential property. First record? Oh, God, it's the Bangles. Um, <laughs> it was an album. It was an album. My mum bought it for me. I think. <laughs> Harry, beat that. So I'm Harry Williams-Jones. I work for Savills London Residential Development, and I work in the super prime consultancy team. So we work with developer clients in order to optimise their London residential developments. So this can be looking at unit mix, specification, those kind of things, essentially just to uh, maximise value. First record? First record, I think, was Oasis Wonderwall. Pretty cool. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Nick, over to you. So Nick Fisher, uh, representing Crestron in the United Kingdom. Uh, We are a home automation control system manufacturer. I've been in the industry for 11 years this year, um, having worked on the integration side uh, and having now worked for Crestron for four years. Um, My first record (laughs) so was actually D-Ream, Things Can Only Get Better, (laughs) which I suppose is fairly apt from where we go from here. Alex. Hi everyone, um, my name's Alex Isaac, I'm a Director of Design for EcoWorld London. Um, if you don't know about EcoWorld London, we are a um, central London property developer with sites from zones one to six. Uh, currently have about 8,500 units in the pipeline. Um, EcoWorld London comes from EcoWorld Malaysia, which is um, a very large developer in Malaysia. And um, yeah, really I'm here to talk about how I suppose home technology gets integrated into larger scale developments. First record? I think it was Thriller. Michael Jackson. Yeah. Very good. I think it was Thriller. Was honest, kind of yeah. <laughs> Very good. Okay. So, Jonathan, let me begin with you. What, in your view, are the core technology fundamentals for a prime property development? Well, I, I think um, we're, we're talking about home automation, ultimately. Um, I think in that context, uh, the core fundamentals are things like heating and cooling control, lighting control, uh, security, um, essentially those elements of the technology and the property that make the property work for you. Um, There's a lot of nice things to have and exciting things to do with home automation, uh, but it's really the key, key fundamentals that are going to make the property work. You need to be able to switch lights on. You need to be able to control the temperature and the comfort of the building. Uh, You need to feel secure in your home. Uh, and and then also, I suppose we could also call um, IT 
fundamental now. Everybody needs um, wireless connectivity and uh, connection to a very good broadband um, pipe. So that really has become a key fundamental as well. Would you agree with that, Harry? You see things from an agent perspective. Yeah. So I, th I think when we're starting to look at the home automation of a, a development, we're starting from the design brief. We'll go from sort of outside in. So firstly, looking at the building, um, you know, if it's a building that's got sort of floor to ceiling glass or high ceilings, then there's a certain amount of automation, whether it be the blinds or, or lighting controls that will be quite specific to that building. So starting with that, we'll then, I suppose, look at uh, the type of occupation of the building, who's going to be living there, if there's going to be lots of lettings. Um, if it's a sort of later life development, then it's a bit more sort of particular in terms of the type of tech, whether that be a bit more voice activation, that kind of thing. Um, and then ultimately price point. You know, there's a certain level of expectations. So I work in the super prime sector, but from about sort of upper prime, which is what we define at £1,500 square foot, there's sort of a certain amount of automation that you'd, you'd be expecting. And then, you know, that goes right up to whatever the prices that people are paying for quite specific bespoke packages for, for their AV. And as the agent, you're working quite closely feeding back to the developers like Alex about what will sell. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to go on from, from Harry's point, for us, the, the first thing we would do is look at the value proposition of who's living there. And ultimately, that would reflect what we need to put in. So, you know, sort of removing erroneous cost and then spending it on the things that do add value to, to the sale of that unit. And that's going to be different things for different people in different areas and different locations. Nick, what about you? You see things from a manufacturer's point of view? Absolutely. And I, th I think we've seen a fundamental change over the years as well. We used to very much be seen as the audio-visual control system, controlling audio elements such as multi-room speakers, uh, controlling televisions and things like that. Whereas now, actually, we're involved in the developer side of things much earlier on with lighting control, uh, the heating, ventilation, air cooling systems, um, security, as well as a big part of the package. And we've very much seen this, this change from being the control system to being actually all-encompassing the beginning part of that building for the, for the lighting, heating, cooling and security systems. And Alex, how then do you as a developer go about creating a tech specification? I think, I think that's a really interesting question because I think, first of all, you've got to get back to the, the fundaments of what is a specification. I think, um, you know, the development role is a jack-of-all-trades, master of some, um, <coughs> but could be guilty of thinking that, you know, we know it all and, you know, that's what we did on the last um, project. It, it worked. Let's cut and paste that specification and put it here. So once we've determined who, who that person is, that profile buyer that we're putting together, I think it's not really our role to flesh out a specification. It's our role to feed that information through to um, a specialist who will be providing us those services to create a specification. And we will simply be giving the descriptive boundaries of how that specification needs to perform in reality. So I think, you know, it's a dangerous game for developers coming along saying, well, I want to use this brand of air conditioning unit. I want to control it this way. You know, it might be talking more around, I want the air conditioning to operate a certain decibel level. Um, I want the blind motors to function smoothly rather than actually going into the granular detail of what it actually is. And then it's your job, really, to assist us in, in making something that's fit for purpose and understanding and understanding our business case for doing it. So, you know, that value add and the budget, that's, that's what we've got to give to, to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's fair to say that the success of a development really comes down to... Um, the ability of the design team to not only understand the brief, but also understand how to value engineer correctly, because ultimately the investor wants a return on his investment. Um, it's really important to work with specialist consultants, I think, in, in all of the major fields. Um, you know, we see very often tender specifications come out that are very clearly put together by an M&E consultant as opposed to a home automation specialist. Um, it's very clear to see that they've perhaps 
picked up on previous specifications and a bit of a copy and paste exercise where they've taken sort of key brands and uh, key sort of automation elements and just thrown them together as part of the specification. Um, and I, I don't think that really achieves um, the best end product. Um, you really do need to understand not only um, sort of legacy support for products that you're specifying, but also where technology is going and ultimately, you know, what could be um, the latest thing in 2019 might not be in 2022 when the project finishes. So you've got to have that foresight to look forward uh, to see what's coming on the horizon, um, but also don't fall into that trap of specifying technology before it's actually there and in the market and, and tested so that you've got a real world test case for those products. And how early do you typically get involved with a developer? Oh, now it's it's pretty much right at the beginning. Um, quite often when you are carrying out consultancy for these sort of projects, you're working to the um, REBA um, plan of works model, uh, which essentially has um, multiple stages. And we would typically come in around stage two, stage three, which is your concept design, um, and work right through up till the point of tender as a consultant. Um, so yeah, much earlier now. Um, I mean, I remember when I started out in the industry, we were kind of like the last people on board and you weren't even brought on as a consultant. You were brought on to, you know, put a quote together, put the kit in, there you go, done. Um, but that really doesn't, um, achieve what you need to achieve these days. It's incredibly technical, um, the, the process that everybody has to go through and the amount of knowledge you now have to know, not just about your own disciplines, but also everybody else is on the design team so that you know the demarcation of responsibilities uh, and can also help guide each other on the, on the design team so that you end up with the, the right end product. So Nick, no horror shows out there anymore with developers? Well, you know, it's it's something that we try and get involved with early doors with as well. Um, you know, we have a business development team who are out there speaking to the agents, they're speaking to the developers to try and let them know actually from the manufacturer standpoint where we are with the technology that we're developing and also where it's going with the roadmap. Um, as I said, that shift from being the audiovisual company to being a technologist or whatever it, you know the term may be is it, it's much more about these integrated systems, and we find by being involved at the early stages of the project, the end result will always be much better. Um, we can often get people coming towards us at the end of a project afterwards and saying, "Oh, well, you know, we didn't realize that Crestron did this, or we didn't realize that Crestron did that. If 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 we did, we would have gone for for the whole solution." And and I think it's really important that people kind of know the the full extent of where we start and where we end, and and what's responsible to to make for a great scheme at the end of it. So, in terms of achieving accurate tender returns from a variety of companies, is that fairly straightforward, Alex? I think it is if you've got the right companies on board and they're all working off a level playing field, really. So you've got to have an apples for apples comparison because the temptation is, you know, to go with the, the least expensive option, isn't it? You know, that's a, it's a simple answer for a developer to say, well, you know, they're telling me it's going to do the same thing and they're the cheapest. So why not? You know, we're going to make more money. Uh, but that's often not the case. And I think it goes back to your point, Jonathan, about early engagement and having those conversations at the front end gives us much more surety around price and what we need to be doing. It also gives us a lot more opportunity to value engineer that so it doesn't become a fait accompli further down the line. You must see that though, Harry, that developers are still tempted by the cheapest price option. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think that the sort of key principle that you have to stick to is just making sure that the functionality of the products is absolutely achieved because... We, whilst we're working through the whole development process, we have the benefit of feedback from buyers. So we have the benefit of understanding exactly where the sort of certain products, the various different products are sort of being picked up on or have some positives and negatives. Um, but I think the whole point of home automation is meant to, meant to simplify things. So it's just as, as, as long as we're keeping everything simple, and not having overcomplicated systems that work with sort of low maintenance, then um, that's the things that we try and focus on. Value engineering, then, John, is that a dirty word for you, or is that uh, something you deal with as not, a data scientist? Not so much a dirty reality? word. I mean, it's it's quite often um, a misnomer because 
value engineering in, in, in real terms is, is providing exactly the same functionality uh, and capability and performance, but at a lower price cost. And quite often that's not actually realistically the case. And uh, quite often it's more an add and emit process or you, you're going to lose some functionality if you go down a certain route. It's just really understanding where to make uh, those decisions because it can be a false economy and you can ultimately value engineer something out of, let's say, the home automation specification, which is really just pushing that requirement further down the line and it needs to be picked up by someone somehow. Uh, typical case in point being things like building management systems, BMS. Um, you know, ultimately, if the AV contractor is not taking that on board and designing that with whatever system he sees fit, then ultimately, later down the line, somebody else has to design it. Um, typically, we actually see this being a little bit back to front these days because the M&E consultant will quite often go off and do their job and specify X, Y, and Z air conditioning, um, heating systems, etc., without actually consulting the home automation specialist to see what's going to work best so that you can manage the budget effectively. Um, you know, quite often we'll see BMS systems being based around trend, which is um, you know a, a building management system that's. Um, synonymous with commercial properties and industry and that sort of thing. Um, and that's really a hangover with M&E consultants. They bring that into um, the residential home, whereas actually there's no real need for it. Um, ultimately, some of these properties are very large and treated more like a hotel than, than a home, perhaps. But there are many technologies available to custom installers that can achieve what a trend building management system can achieve. Um, so... I think going back to your, to your question about value engineering, it, it's being careful with where you spend the budget. Um, and again, I think all developers are looking for that return on investment, so they need to understand from their consultants where those value engineering decisions can be made. Um, what we tend to advise is to concentrate on those fundamentals that we spoke of earlier, the lighting control, the HVAC control, the security, the lighting control, and just make sure that those elements are done well, because they're the core elements that are going to make people comfortable in the building. I think when you talk about M&E consultants, Nick, perhaps you could come in here that there is a real crossover now between what brands like Crestron offer and what the M&E consultant would typically have done in terms of services and lighting controls. So it, it's a grey area, wouldn't you say? It, it is, absolutely. And, and as a control systems manufacturer, we're working on new products every day to be able to control different elements of the home. Um, in February at uh, ISE in Amsterdam, we released two new thermostats um, showing those which are actually able to control underfloor heating air conditioning systems, whereas that's a product set which people wouldn't necessarily think to go to with Crestron as, as a brand. Um, and it's something that we really are kind of seeing a, a, a big growth in is within that lighting control element and, and the, the heating and the cooling, which is very much kind of coming from the M&E side of things because they're wanting to achieve something um, and that can be done by using products which are more suited to a home. So we're very much doing it to be home-based rather than uh, office or commercial space-based. Uh, you know, as John was saying, a lot of these technologies filter through from being, well, here's a big office block that I can control my lights using Dali or use a trend system to control my uh, cooling. So let's just put that into a home. The reality of that is, is that then when Mr. and Mrs. Jones move into that home, they go, wow, this is awfully complicated. I'm a bit hot. I just want to make it cooler. Can I open the window? You know, and, and you know, there's something then complex behind it. And actually what we're trying to educate in is that simplicity and just being able to go in and, and just do things simplistically as if you would, as if it was just a normal, you know, two-bedroom house, it should be exactly the same if it is a 15-bedroom house. Yeah, I think the, the BMS versus home control sort of rationale is, is a good, talking point because ultimately from a development perspective it's, it's certainly if it's a um, multi-unit scheme you're going to have a bms system but that you know that's putting the control back in the hands of the building so you get less variation around how you might be able to control the temperature of your unit it's going to be linked to, back to the building so your degree of variance is going to be less so ultimately that 
means you're not able to onward charge the value to the client. So actually by looking at home automation, you're giving more control back to your client and therefore that equates to value. So really it's a, it's a fine balance between the two. You know, how, how much do you want to offer your client? And, and at the high end, obviously you want to, you know, give them a fully bespoke system. Further down the, the tier, it might be that there's, you know, minim- more control, but it is linked greater to the BMS. And it's that inflection curve of value and cost. And buyers appreciate being in control, Harry. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's completely dependent on what sort of level in terms of price point your your exits are sort of aiming to achieve. Um, but we would always, I think you'd probably agree, we'd always wire for automation, even if you're not going for a fully automated system. Um, because just having that flexibility, quite often you'll have buyers, if they're really into their music, they'll, they'll have their own specification, they'll probably want to rip everything out anyway. But just instead of going for a retrofit option, um, just putting in the infrastructure, wiring infrastructure for wiring, for light, for all those kind of things. Um, and if you're going to make the cutbacks, it's probably not putting in all the end products, it's, but it's allowing for that flexibility, um, you know, of, of a base specification. If the, the buyer then wants to sort of upgrade their package um, at a later stage or probably at the sort of the very upper end, they're going to have an entirely bespoke package, you know, that they'll be very specific about. And when we talked about tenders, you mentioned that you've got to find the right automation contractor. How do you do your due diligence? I think it's it's like anything, isn't it? It's just asking people, it's references, it's understanding what people's capabilities are, it's actually going and seeing things. It's a lot of research in the background that you, you have to do just to say, yeah, we, you know, it's personality. It's do, do we get on with this company? Do our values align around what we're trying to achieve? And it's all of those things that mean you you get on the list or you don't get on the list and you know that you you open it up to as many people as you can and then you filter it down to the people that you want to work with is that your experience john i mean certainly personal relationships with uh, contractors are really important um i i think from the investor and developers point of view they really need to do their due diligence make sure that the companies they're interviewing have a proven track record uh, ultimately are specialists, certainly when we're talking about home automation, that they're a home automation specialist, not perhaps an electrical company that's that's um, uh, branched out into AV and home automation you know, a few years down the line. You really want to see that track record of consistency. It's good to see that um, the home automation uh, contractor is a member of perhaps CEDIA, which is uh, an organisation that many of the home automation specialists are a part of. Uh, and a good body of information for people to um, research companies to work with. Um, I think you can't get a better um, introduction than a referral from somebody that has used the company before and had a successful experience with them. Um, You know, there's a lot of AV home automation companies out there now. Uh, I can guarantee you they're not not all at the same level. Um, You know, a lot of people talk a good game, but uh, ultimately uh, their their work doesn't always uh, stand up to it. Also looking at their accreditations and certifications, you know, have they got um, CCNA uh, networking engineers um, working for them? Have they got things like THX, HAA certification for, for home audio and uh, cinema systems and that sort of thing? So, so really, yeah, again, doing your due diligence, looking at the company, um, making sure they've got that track record, ask them for case studies, look for some um, look for case studies that have got some divergence in them, then always just installing the same system over and over again, make sure they're working with um, multiple different um, brands and technologies. Um, and that's that's really where you've, you've got to start. A lot to think about, but you've really got to go through that process. Do you think there's enough awareness out there amongst developers about what they should be looking for, Nick? Um, I, I think it's one of those things, and we, we see a slightly kind of cyclical way that um, the business is going at the moment that you might experience someone who's had a system before and they've experienced it on whatever level it may have been at a a basic level or a very high level and their interpretation is that the system didn't work for them 
they weren't happy with it. Um, and that on their next property, they don't want to do the same again because it, it was dreadful and they, they, they don't want to have that experience again. And then they live without the system. And due to the type of property it is, they realise that actually they can't live without it. And I think that the technology has moved on so much um, since we started. You know, and it, 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 we often get people coming to us saying, you know, I've got this 20-year-old system and it's really slow and it, it doesn't seem to work very well. And you go, well, imagine using a 20-year-old laptop, a 20-year-old mobile phone or your sat-nav in your car 20 years ago. Well, you wouldn't have had one. But, you know, it, it, it's that kind of thing that I think because it's built into the building, people expect it to last forever. Now, of course, things like the lighting will just do that. But, of course, touchscreens, you know, we were making touchscreens years and years ago. And for their time, they were so advanced. There was nothing else like it. The iPad came along and everyone went, ooh, Crestron's doomed. They're never going to sell another product again. But of course, actually, what we've done is we've evolved. Um, you know, And that, that's the really key thing is to make sure that we are constantly evolving and we are moving with the times. You know, When I entered this industry 11 years ago, I was working with CDs. You know, there were six-disc CD changes for what people were putting into their properties. Then we moved to hard disks and people were ripping all those CDs. Whereas now we're on streaming, you know. And I don't think ever, even back then, anyone would have seen the future and where it was going. Um, and I think it's really key that developers are understanding that the infrastructure for all of these technologies, whether it's a six-disc CD changer, a turntable, or whatever it may be, the infrastructure is still pretty much the same, actually, what it was 11, 12 years ago as to what it is today. Um, but the, 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 the source content is what's moving with the times. How do you feel about that, Alex? Yeah, I think you've, you've always got to be at the top of your game, haven't you? So you're always looking to trend forecast what's, what's going to come through. And, you know, quite frankly, we've got developments where we're not putting in home automation because it, it doesn't require it. But absolutely, even, even on those lower spec properties, there's demand is changing so the security aspect you know people talking about um keyless entry or phone entry everyone everyone now has a mobile phone you know which is as powerful as the computers we had growing up so the the zeitgeist is that you know people are more versed in using that and actually why would you bother carrying around a set of keys if you can open the the door with your phone because you're using it as your credit card anyway when you're traveling on the tube or hopping on the on the bus so i think everything will come back to making people's lives simpler and that that's just not at the top end of the market that's 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 in the in the mainstream market as well and in terms of reliability how do you deal with service and maintenance issues that you might get complaints from people who've just moved in for example what's the well, I think <laughs> you're always going to have that, and we, we've got a fairly substantial customer care team at EcoWorld. Um, and really, I suppose from a developer, it's it's that that caution first of all that actually we're not going to go out and specify something that's totally untried, untested. We're we're going to go and get references and case studies and actually see it working in practice and get testimonial that it, it that it's the best that it can be at this particular particular time in 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 using a, uh, a piece of software or a piece of hardware um so it's that really i think we're, we're cautious by our very nature so we're, we're always trying to limit those awkward phone calls with consumers who something has gone wrong obviously you're not going to be able to do that all the time is home automation part of the service fees conversation yeah i believe it is actually i think I think it depends how it's being used. So certainly, if you're looking at BMS, of course, it's it's part of your your service charge. It's you know building wide system. Whether or not there's a maintenance angle to that, where it's more personal within the red line of your of your demise, and I think that actually taking ownership of uh, that kit, obviously you've got your two year defects period anyway, where where it have to be maintained. But is there an angle around? you know, developers providing a service much like we would go and buy an extended warranty on, you know, a television or your, your mobile phone. I think that that's an angle to explore for us. And short-term lets are a bit of a thing. So, Jonathan, how do you deal with home automation in that sort of development? Um, I think short-term lets are very different to, um, to, to multi-dwellings that are aimed at sort of longer-term lets because ultimately you're looking at a fully furnished 
um, apartment or um, property and the client is looking to walk straight in just with a minimal amount of uh, furnishings that they're moving in themselves, maybe their artwork, etc. And they expect to literally be able to bring their own devices and log on to the wireless network, uh, stream whatever they want to wherever they want, whether it's their TV or um, to their speakers. So ultimately, the short-term let market is, is probably the best example of uh, full home automation and being kitted out with everything day one. Um, when you're looking at uh, prospective development for sale rather than rental, it's it's approached very differently. And this is where there's a lot more scope for value engineering. Um, but yeah, multi-dwelling, short-term let market, you, everything has to be perfectly in tune with the demographic of the um, type of clients that uh, the development's looking for. So the target market's key. Understanding that target market in the brief is key for designing the home automation systems. Um, but yeah, ultimately everything ready to go day one. And with everything going wireless, that's a great opportunity for value engineering. Uh, it can be. <laughs> um, I mean, wireless technology for me is great for BYOD, bring your own device. Okay, so streaming devices, being able to use apps to control um the various technology systems in the house. I'm not a big believer in using wireless devices such as sort of battery-operated motorized blinds and that sort of thing because ultimately what you are doing is by default designing in a level of maintenance. Um, so realistically, you should avoid wireless technology for fundamental services and ultimately a lot of wireless technology needs power anyway so you're going to be running cables to it um, so yes it's picking and choosing how you use wireless technology um, but it's bring your own device that's that's the key element for wireless technology do you agree with that alex yeah, absolutely. I think there's, you know, there's something reassuring about seeing a cable go into something rather than, uh, you yeah. know, sort of picking it up out in the airwaves. I also think we were we were discussing this um, before the, the the health angle around, you know, people's perception of of wireless devices, and it is slightly unknown at the moment. And from a consumer perspective, you know. It, if something comes out around uh, Wi-Fi, you know distorting your brain waves or you know some messing with your head giving you migraines then that 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 market could ultimately collapse in in lieu of people actually using wired devices so i think you know again being cautious erring on the side of caution and you know wire, wiring something is a tried and tested way i do agree with the bring your own device thing and we're all probably all logged onto the network here tonight is health and wellness a conversation you're having with buyers um, with regard to wireless, not so much, um, but just on the wireless sort of technology, um, I think it does have a place and we're seeing more and more of it, especially in lighting control. Um, whilst we don't know all of, sort of the health impacts of, of having radio frequency, um, as I understand it, the radio frequency is similar to a sort of car key. So it's not actually sort of cutting edge technology that we sort of haven't seen before. Um, and I think there are quite a lot of cost implications on the on the wiring front. Um, firstly, in terms of the the actual the physical aspects of the, of the wiring that you don't have to put in for the for the control, um, but also the time on site. And particularly if you're looking at a sort of PRS operator, condensing the uh, construction period um, is absolutely crucial. So anything that you can do to sort of help with that um, is going to ultimately increase your IRR. So that's, I think it's an, an option that should be um, looked at and it might not be suitable for, for all developments, but um, I think it, on sort of the pro some of the projects that I've worked on, it's had quite a lot of implications in terms of, of the cost of the wireless system for, for lighting. Yeah, I think just to add to your point there, um, the and it's the short-term letting thing as well. I think the we do a lot of built-to-rent products and actually, because you're swapping out tenancies and it's it's a bit more transient, the ability for more people to use the same system in the way that they want is is very important. And actually, having that wireless aspect allows for that a lot more easily. So you know, there's pluses and minuses to everything. 
And a lot more wireless products coming down the line from Crestron, I bet. Uh, absolutely. Um, we, we launched uh, a wireless lighting control platform around five years ago, um, which is perfect for the retrofit market. Um, I was called into a, a property in central London um, about six months ago where the couple had bought a penthouse apartment. They had been told it was wired for a, an automation system and they had an automation system in their home in Surrey and so expected to move into this apartment and have exactly the same thing. Um, what they were actually greeted with was a row of 12 light switches in their living room and they kind of said, ah, I don't know how this works. Um, and and they'd, they'd called in um, home automation companies and said, Look, you know, uh, can, can, can you put a system in here? And everyone had kind of scratched their head and said, well, it's certainly not pre-wired for what they're telling you it's pre-wired for. So we then got a phone call saying, look, we, you know, we've been told this is wired for a Crestron system, but or none of your dealers seem to know how it's wired, so can, can you help us out with it? And, and we kind of sat there and went, well, it, it, it's not, I'm afraid. So someone's told Fib somewhere along the lines. And but fortunately, because we have a wireless lighting solution, um, it was it was easier to, to 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 install that into the property. You know, they didn't have to rip out all the walls and all of the cabling infrastructure to be able to do it. Which before we had that wireless technology, they would have had to have done. Um, and and so that really does help from a retrofit side of things. Um, I even have it in my house because I didn't wire it, and it still gives you that flexibility of a control system. The only thing I would say about it is that we're talking about kind of short-term lets and people coming in is that some of the keypads and stuff like that rely on battery technology. And actually, who's checking those batteries? And, you know, we get phone calls. It doesn't work. And you go, well, have, have you tried the batteries? Why on earth has a light switch got a battery? You know, and, and that's something that we need to be very, very careful of is that, and again, it's about setting that expectation with it be the agent, the developer of, yes, we do have these solutions, but are you aware that someone, whoever that is going to be, has got to be keeping an eye and checking it? And of course, we have monitoring solutions which will let you know that that battery's about to run low and so on and so forth. But when that product is sold to a developer and then it goes down the line and down the line is, who's getting that email saying that its battery's about to run low? sure as hell not probably the person that's about to rent it for the weekend well hopefully that's where the sort of building management from on the developer side will will be able to sort of avoid that kind of situation yeah i think it's another thing to go in a sort of homeowner's manual isn't it yeah. you know <laughs> service and, and just making sure that uh, it's about data collection really and and uh, making sure that everything that goes into your property is catalogued somewhere on a on a spreadsheet and then that is shared with the end user and that's that's purely just good customer service really that's that that's us doing our job well okay so what trends should developers be looking out for john what's coming down the line that's going to excite developers like alex about um well i, th I think one of the interesting things is that the, the the home automation market has always been very forward thinking and um quite often you'll find that a lot of the stuff we've been doing for many years is really the 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 key products that are going into buildings and will remain and continue to go into buildings in terms of current trends i mean we're seeing um, human centric lighting being uh, a trend at the moment this is where you have tunable led lighting that allows you to control uh, the amount of blue light that's output so um, that's great for you know setting up um, morning wake-up routines um, ultimately um, bringing the light up to a, a daylight level in the mornings and through to the evening coming down to a sort of more candle lit level um, which aids the circadian rhythm and uh, you know coming back to the wellness idea it's uh, it's uh, originally uh, a technology that was used commercially uh, to, to sort of help the workforce be a bit more alert. Um, but the health benefits of that are really, you know, they're, they're, they're there to be seen. And uh, we're now seeing that come into the residential market. Um, and there's a lot of um, fittings designed for residential properties as opposed to the sort of more commercial looking fittings. Uh, so some suitable lighting. Um, there are technologies that we all hear about. Um, Things like uh, the Internet of Things, IoT, um, AI, uh, gets spoken about a lot. And, and that's a very interesting area to keep an eye on. Um, I think with the IoT, this is really something that's 
um, driven more towards advertising and the commercial aspect. Um, there's a lot of consumer smart technology out there on the market that sort of brands itself as being IoT compatible and that sort of thing. And I actually question that because I think there's not such a great benefit for the client or end user. I think this is more about capturing data and uh, being able to use that to be able to market products. Um, certainly, there are cloud-based um, control systems now coming onto the market. Uh, it's another area where I think that um, it, that that has some um, security aspects about it that we're not too comfortable about. And I think a lot of clients out there are also not comfortable with this. So um, yeah, we, we, we'll see where the IoT goes. AI, on the other hand, now that is very interesting. Um, I think uh, artificial intelligence is almost something that as home automation and technology geeks, let's say, have been trying to do for a long time, you know, writing our own algorithms and uh, our own programs to, uh, to predict certain elements. Um, this is really early days for AI, but you've already seen sort of Mark Zuckerberg uh, work on his Jarvis AI, uh, which was really interesting to see because um, he's spoken about how they went to, uh, through that process uh, for his own development, his own property, his own home. Um, and whilst this system is designed to anticipate how the property needs to prepare itself on a given day and in the morning as he's going through his morning routine, he's had to still use um, established technologies out there. Uh, actually, the AIs run on a Crestron platform uh, to control the various building technologies. Um, so that's really interesting to see that ultimately we talk about artificial intelligence, but something's got to still do the control element. So so it's a very, yeah, very interesting area that we're keeping an eye on. Um, and there's a lot of products that are coming out branded as AI products that aren't really AI products. Um, so yeah, interesting space to watch that. Now, Alex, I bet with a name like EcoWorld, you want technology to help you be sustainable on your developments. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's going back to the point of what consumers want. I think people are a lot more socially aware of their impact on, on the environment and that will become a value thing for us in the future and and people being able to monitor you know their their carbon footprint their how much electricity they're using how much fuel they're burning um certainly we we do that on our sites now we we are required to actually see what you know what what consumption there is um i think that that will become a more personal thing for people and uh, they'll want to know that. And I think there is the technology that going back to learning people's routines and uh, a system that can know when you're not in your property and but you've left your heating on, you know, and switch it off and uh, know that you're coming home at a certain time and, and put the heating back on or, um, you know, you're, you're on holiday and you've forgotten to switch your lights off being able to do that. I think all of these things are important to people and certainly with with younger people coming in younger people now getting richer and and have this this consciousness uh it's definitely a trend to be aware of are you seeing that harry a different age profile demanding different things um i think it's ha it happens across all age groups actually but certainly in terms of the sort of millennialization of, of luxury markets that's essentially will be the future in terms of what we look forward to and what people what sort of trends are coming out um in terms of what are people asking for I mean, nowadays we people are concerned, and you know, at the point of sale, we're being asked, you know, what the air pollution levels are in a certain area, um, even if there's certain pollutants that people are using in the in the uh, cleaning products for the common areas. So people really are drilling down into the sort of detail of, you know, what the health impacts of living in a new development or in a new place will be. Yeah, I, I think uh, just going back to uh, the discussion about wireless, we're seeing um, more and more now clients being concerned about wireless interference in their home. Uh, we've had a couple of clients this year um, actually ask us to design a system limiting the, the wireless uh, activity in the wireless spectrum, you know, every down to sort of RF through to microwave. Um, even to the point of um, individual devices outputting EMF interference um, and screening against that interference on cabling, so using screen cabling, um, 
testing the lighting drivers that are being used in the property to see if they emit any EMF. Um, these clients even you know, walked around the property on, on practical completion and handover with an EMF meter testing the property for the interference. So um, it's a genuine concern. I, I, I truly believe myself that, that the, um, the activity in the wireless spectrum isn't particularly good going back to you know health and well-being circadian rhythm being able to sleep well at night that sort of thing and I, I can see how that wireless congestion can lead to or have a health impact perhaps um, it's it's a big unknown I think uh, ultimately and uh, people are being cautious and I think that there is this trend towards health and well-being and it's it's very much in people's conscious so um, yeah, being able to to cater for that and actually advise clients on how they can design the technology in their home to limit the, the wireless activity in the wireless spectrum. Where do you think it's going, Nick? Um, well, I think it's quite interesting, actually, because, you know, we've, we, we, we've touched on Internet of Things devices. And, of course, when you look at the Nest devices, the Hive, and all of these smart things, the Philips Hughes that, you know, is, is what's kind of causing you know, consumers to be aware of this technology on, a, on an everyday level is that they all rely on wireless technology. They are all reliant on that Wi-Fi. And actually it becomes a big thing that you, you kind of get someone who's sat there saying, well, you know, I want to make sure there's no, the, the paint's healthy and it's got no lead in it and the cleaning materials in the, in the property have got to be this. But, oh, yeah, I want all my light bulbs to be Wi-Fi. Well, it, it becomes contradicting. Um, and, and we see this a lot with voice control is people will, will speak to us and say, oh, you know, the control system's got to be locked down. You know, I don't want anyone to be able to access it. Oh, but can we have Amazon Alexa to turn our lights on and off? And you go, well, you do realise that's not very secure and Amazon are listening to every single thing you're doing. Are they? And, you know, it, it, it's that kind of almost surprise. And you go, yeah, you know. And I think we saw, was it um, last week or the week before, um, that Google just kind of announced their their true transition of Nest and, and Nest being one of the really, really big names out there for, for heating control that kind of really brought smart homes to, to, the, to, to the forefront in the public eye. And of course, you have to sit there and go, well, if Google are buying and, and you know, wanting to run Nest, why is that? Because they're a search engine. And of course it is because they want to learn exactly how people are using their homes and, you know, whether it's then tying in with the smoke detectors and all the rest of it. And where's that security? And they're all wireless and uh, it all becomes a bit of a, a mess. <laughs> is security a big thing, Alex? Yeah, I think going back to that point, I think we can all be a bit cynical that, you know, large companies like that are using our data against us. But actually when we do look to determine who's going to be living in a, pro in, a, in a property that we're developing, it's really important for us to know who that person is in order that we can determine what the, the best outcome for them, for them is from a living experience. Um, so I think that data security, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? You know, it's, you need to know in order to be able to do the right thing. But equally, you know, that somebody holding that data can use it for marketing. And, and how it's used. Yeah, how it's used. I think, um, I think it's also worth saying that um, going back to the IoT and uh, smart home technology, especially consumer technology uh, like your Philips Hue and your Hive and um, Nest, etc., that, that technology, the way it sort of learns how you are using the devices, so Nest, for example, sort of being more energy efficient, learning how you're um, heating the house and what temperature you prefer and, uh, and all that sort of thing, that, that, I, that, that all feeds into IoT. And I can understand how um, that's a good thing from, from the control system point of view. However, there is home automation technology that allows you to do this. You can do this with, with certain technologies, KNX technology, etc. You can build systems that have algorithms that learn how you use the building to be energy efficient or to achieve a temperature faster than, than it would normally do if you just left it to do its own thing. So I think, I think as a consultant, as a, as a home automation audiovisual consultant, it's it's our responsibility to be able to convey this to the client and explain to them that, you know, actually we can do this. We can make the building intelligent. We can make it um, learn how you use the building. We don't need to use these consumer technology devices, which 
to be honest, can't actually do the job in larger properties anyway. They are very much designed for your sort of two up, two down or, or, or similar type properties. So, um, yeah, with that, that intelligence in the system can be achieved without the IoT, in inverted commas. Um, so that, I think, is um, something that clients are very interested in. And what about home entertainment? Speechless. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, to, who are you looking to, Alex? Alex. Yeah. I think this is really interesting because it's where we started with the conversation. Really, that you know, home automation has been perceived to have come out of audiovisual, and but actually, talking about the fundamentals of getting the the basics right in a property, such as lighting, heating, all the all the comfort factors, allows us to then provision for home entertainment but quite frankly that's that's the fun bit that your client will probably want to spend more time choosing you know focusing on on the brand of tv what it actually does and the 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 sound quality so we would we would always install the facility to put in you know some decent kit but you leave that decision up to your consumer because that's the that's the boys with toys isn't it in in terms of the sort of the av proposition um, technology is moving at such a fast pace that having a wired in option um, is, is likely or it's foreseeable that it might become um, obsolete, you know, five years down the line. And you've got, always got to be thinking about how to future proof your development, you know, from the point of specifying it to actual completion. Nick, do you agree with that? <sighs> yes and no. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it, it's one of those things. You know, um, I can absolutely see the value proposition of actually of, of, of what Jonathan said. Of essentially, that becomes bring your own device because actually, whether you listen to Spotify, I listen to Tidal, Deezer, whatever it may be, is we all have our own preferences. Um, and, and, of course, different people have different expectations, you know, and I think what we're seeing is that the younger generations actually care less about the quality and more about the convenience of being able to listen to what they want to. They want the biggest choice available rather than the quality. And it is very much, we're seeing a a kind of change in in the developer spec of saying, well, actually, we'll put the cables in, in the ceilings for the speakers, but let's not put it in now because someone could come in and they could absolutely hate music. So what's the point in us putting any speakers in? Um, I, I think there's an issue on functionality as well. Um, a friend of mine who's a DJ, so likes his music quite loud, um, isn't able to use the speakers, his ceiling speakers whatsoever. And perhaps that's bad installation, but he's not able to use them because he gets noise complaints from upstairs. So <laughs> from that point of view. Um, and, 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 you know, I think that, again, goes down to the bigger proposition of, okay, well, so, you know, if we're speaking to a developer and we're saying, you know, you should put in ceiling speakers throughout your property of also, are you aware that that has implications on the people in the flat above, the people side by side, and therefore you should consider insulation. Um, I was at a friend of mine's um, house down in Cornwall the other day, and he he's a property developer. And we, w- we were talking because he puts in ceiling speakers in all of the principal rooms in his properties. And he was saying, it's brilliant. None of our neighbours can ever hear our music and we can put it as loud as we want because we've done this X, Y, Z and he kind of said a load of things that went over to my head which kind of goes in reverse when I tell him about technology but about the types of block work that they'd use and the insulation so that the music would never travel and of course that's another cost to the developer, right? And, you know, they need to... To, to him it's kind of a... They really want to offer multi-room audio as one of their propositions so... but to offer it properly, to do it with that. Of course, it has a, an added cost of, it's not just the cost of the speakers and the amplifier and the source, it's also the cost of the insulation. Yeah. On that note, thank you very much. Right. So we're going to open up to a Q&A on the floor. So who has a question for one of our panellists? Hi, I'm Susie Rumbold. I'm Creative Director of Tessudo Interiors. This is a question for Jonathan. Jonathan, given the complexity of building management systems and the way they're developing, do you think that home automation specialists are actually beginning to supplant M&E consultants? I think there is a synergy between the two. Um, The mechanical and electrical consultant really needs to be there for the specification of the hardware, the hardware HVAC systems. Um, And then in terms of 
controlling that technology, then that's really where the home automation specialist comes in. So, so definitely the two need to work alongside each other. And I don't think one supersedes another. It's, it's a collaboration and a synergy that needs to be there. Um, there's an awful lot of um, technical understanding that's needed to actually design the heating and ventilation and air conditioning systems, which a home, auto, home automation specialist would not perhaps have, wouldn't have been to university to learn those sort of things. They're really control systems uh, specialists. They understand the technologies and how to integrate them. So yeah, that synergy will always be there. And I think the two go hand in hand. In your experience, Alex, do m consultants and home automation companies work well together? I think it's our role to make to ensure that they work well together and you know facilitate those conversations. That's that's that is the role of developer. So, in your experience, do you find that M and E consultants are treating you as equals? Oh, very much so. I mean, they look to us for advice. Um, I think um, it really depends on the M and E consultant you're working with, because some people have in-house uh, audiovisual and home automation capabilities, but very few do. Um, I think it's also a chicken and egg scenario because quite often you'll find that the M&E consultant is on board quite early and then the AV stroke home automation consultant comes on board. And like I said earlier during the um, the podcast, the um, the design can get can go quite a long way uh, into the specification of the HVAC systems before even thinking about control. And that's quite dangerous because a lot of time and effort is put into that. So really, you need to get both on board day one, right at the very beginning. Another question at the back. Thank you. I'm Tatiana, marketing manager for UK Europe here at Dolby. I have two questions, actually, if I may ask. So the first question to everyone, actually. So you were talking about new technologies and how they evolved and how the consumers become more aware of these technologies, more tech savvy. So has the role, the advisory role has changed? It's where the consumers actually advise you what kind of AV system to install because they want it or it is you that advise them what will work the best for their home. Thank you. Certainly, there is much more awareness now. Um, but I think specifically with audiovisual technologies, their, their understanding of what they need is quite simple in the sense that they know whether they use Spotify, Tidal, or Netflix, or what streaming service they use. So, so that understanding's there. But then in the context of the building and actually being able to provision that throughout the building um, and to give you your... Uh, the capability of multi-room audio and uh, in the case of Dolby for, for a, a, an, ex, uh, an experience that's immersive and, uh, and designed correctly from the point of view of the acoustics in the room and the seating in the room, you know, all of that element they have absolutely no idea about. So that's where they need the advice um, and why they would work with a specialist. Um, but yes, you're right. The, the, the consumer awareness is, is, is incredible now and that's all thanks to smart technologies from from consumer products out there but um, quite often people will think that that technology is sufficient for any size of property any particular property whether it's a multi-dwelling apartment block or whether it's um, a, you know palatial mansion um, and the reality is that the majority of consumer technology isn't fit for that purpose um, it's designed to be plug and play for for end users to be able to go to john lewis and by their, by their plug-and-play device and, and make it work. But in the context of a much bigger property, that's just not, not viable. It doesn't, doesn't kind of fit. It's square peg, round hole. Tatiana, I think you had another question. Yes, indeed. Um, maybe it's more to Harry this time. So is there a higher demand for home cinemas now in the prime segment? And is there a tendency for converting not such living spaces like cellars uh, to a home entertainment area? Thank you. So in terms of sort of multi-unit schemes, um, I think we've gone from a sort of a previous world where, which was sort of the American model of putting absolutely every type of amenity um, within a residential building to now what is sort of quite more essential. Um, and I think there's, there's particularly a lot of feedback in terms of service charge. People are becoming very aware of high service charges. So essentially where you have to have a lot of staffing for instance in swimming pools or maintenance costs also in swimming pools or uh, amenities like crashes where you've got to have full-time staff those are the kind of things that will really push up um, the service charge 
So we will only try and put those in where it makes sense. For instance, if you've got, if you really do want to put a swimming pool into development, um, then you'll make sure that it's got enough units so that you can spread the cost across a lot of, um, a lot of the different units. Um, the thing like a cinema um, tends to be fairly low cost in terms of there's no, there's no staffing. It can be an underground space, so it has less value. You don't have to use an, an upper level. So we're, we're, if we can put one in and there's a space for it, we generally do. Um, the same goes for sort of meeting rooms and dining spaces. You know, they, they can be similar kind of spaces and they really add value to, to a development. To go back to your original um, question, if we could, if we could, get clients to tell us exactly what they wanted that would be the perfect world scenario for us it's a it's a large part of our role is interpreting what multiple people want because obviously we we don't just have one user but um i think for us the trend around cinemas in developments is that because technology has got better for people personally i mean you, you we've all now got big televisions and you know they're not cathode ray tubes anymore and they're not sitting in the corner of the room actually the facility for having a dedicated cinema is becoming slightly less than than it was before and what we're finding and certainly with the research in the states is they're taking cinemas out of a lot of their amenity spaces and making it a much more flexible usable room so it would still an have entertainment space kind an of entertainment yeah. space absolutely be you know, much like this, potentially with the ability to, to host events like this, or you know, put the sport on of an evening. But equally, one of your tenants or residents doing a hosting a stand up comedy evening, you know, or, or or painting classes. So it's an aspect of a larger and more multifunctional space that I think we're we're seeing a trend for. Hi, Matt Crofton from Prime Resi. Um, are there any particular schemes or projects that you've worked on or seen that you think have really levelled up the home automation world that are going to be the benchmarks of what's going to come next? Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's the majority of them. I mean, most of the projects we work on, uh, we work to a very high level. Um, so, in all honesty, I see the private client sector of the market being uh, the area where the, the, the budgets are pushed and you, you basically uh, put more technology into those, um, into those builds, uh, usually because the client has an expectation already but is building a family home or it could be their holiday home and they, they know what they want and it has to be, you know, has to cater for guests and friends, family, all that sort of stuff. So... Um, certainly in, in the private client space, we, we see a lot of uh, the budget being spent towards the home automation. Uh, in the developer space, uh, we are certainly seeing cost cutting happening. And I think we've spoken about it uh, largely tonight. Um, so, yeah, that's 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 really where, where that's happening. Um, but, yeah, private clients are still wanting cinemas. You know, we see that a lot. Um, I think I'd say 95% of the projects we do um, have cinemas in them, so uh, or private client projects we do. Nick, do you want to add something, some of the developments you've seen that are really setting the standard? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 we're seeing kind of things really being being pushed in, in different ways of how it's being rolled out. There was a particular development here in London which had a really heavy interior design influence on how the whole scheme was going to, to look and feel and how that home automation system was going to be used. Um, the interior designer actually went through all of the different ranges of lighting keypads and switches from all of the different manufacturers, ourselves included, and actually came across um, one of our touchscreen models and opted that they've now got a touchscreen to be in place of wherever you would ordinarily have a light switch. And I think that's really pushing the boundaries. You know, you're kind of relying on something which is a dynamic device and, and, and really it doesn't just do the lighting, it can do the, the audio, it can do the temperature, it can do the door entry. And whilst typically in these multiple development schemes, you would have one of those touch screens in, in this particular development, every single apartment had at least 10 or 12 of them. Alex, what about you? What sets the standard for you? Um, oh, I've got a funny story around it, actually, because my background isn't necessarily development. I've, I've 
came through the super yacht industry and I remember it's a while ago, but I remember thinking it pushed the boundaries at the time, but I was in the Caribbean surveying Paul Allen's boat for a refit and just the extent of technology on that boat was incredible it wasn't just tvs on lifts it was the crestron panels by the side of the beds were on their own micro lifts so that he could raise it from this sort of height to that sort of height and it was just mind-blowing the full full recording studio on board as well yeah quite staggering so that's come on then harry share share some of your favorites um in terms of sort of developments i think i've been quite impressed by um, this this sort of it's part building management system, part concierge um, sort of app that they have at Bassi Power Station, where you can sort of order or you can sort of book spaces, amenity spaces. Um, they have an online forum. You can um, bring up any issues you've got with your apartment, and it just and you'll get sort of notifications when you've got mail, that kind of thing. I, I guess it's that kind of um, simplification and direct information that you're getting and um, direct to your mobile or it be your sort of Crestron panels um, is really useful. Um, and it's even started to spur on uh, tenants communicating to one another, um, sharing dog walkers and yoga classes. But it's just been quite incredible in terms of how much people have really taken it um, and actually sort of reinforced the community there. Automated dog walking. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the future. To go on further to your point, and it may be a trend that we haven't talked about, but that experience and of people wanting experiences over product and, and actually being able to communicate with one another through technology is definitely a future trend and, and freeing up people's time and convenience to do so. We're all so time poor now. Anything you can do to save somebody half an hour you know that's half an hour spent socializing with your friends which is getting more and more difficult technology is going to play a huge role in that thank you to alex harry jonathan and nick for sharing your insights with us and thank you also to prime resi to dolby and to crestron for making this live event possible you can find the integrated home on spotify apple podcasts and on-demand services everywhere we're on Twitter at IntHomePod and on Instagram and Facebook at IntegratedHomePod. This episode of The Integrated Home is a Wildwood and Alfie Media production. At Meridian Audio, we deliver extraordinary experiences. We create moments that bring people together, forge shared connections and make unforgettable memories. Don't just take our word for it. Experience audio as it's meant to sound. With a visit to our Cambridgeshire HQ, it's the home of high-res audio. The Integrated Home supports Together for Cinema. Together for Cinema is an AV industry movement that designs and installs cinema rooms in children's hospices across the UK. So far, thanks to the huge generosity of manufacturers, distributors and integrators freely giving of their time, products and expertise, we've created 21 dedicated cinemas. In these special places, children, their families, staff and volunteers are now enjoying fantastic movie experiences together. We want to build more rooms in more hospices for more children. To do that, we need your help. Visit togetherforcinema.co.uk and find out how you can be involved to help make short lives that little bit better.